0: Trekkies, welcome to Trekkies, part of the Geek Reef On this podcast we analyze and review every episode of Star Trek starting all the way back with the original series. I'm Kevin and I'm joined by Jonathan. Uh, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Nice. Are you uh, ready to talk about this season finale?
1: I am. This was season one, episode 29, Operation Annihilate.
0: Yeah, so... I, so it's an interesting th- episode. I
1: Originally, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good episode. I kind of liked it. But then I think as it progressed, you know, analyzing it, I'm pretty sure we're going to highlight a lot of things that will remind me of how not good it is, really. But from, I at least in the beginning, I liked it.
0: I don't see how the title of the episode really correlates with what happened in the episode too much. Yeah, I think they were trying to give it like a flashier name than. Uh, well, OK, with the original script. I think called for the original name a little bit more than what we ended up with. Yeah. But they didn't change the title to reflect that.
1: And I like that you, you looked that up and we'll have to dig into that deeper later. But I think a lot of what doesn't fit right in this episode is because of that last minute change.
0: Yeah, that's, that's probably a lot of it. I just wish when they did that, I wish they would have changed the title of the episode.
1: So let's dig into that. then. what do you think would have been a more fitting title for this episode? Oh God.
0: Barf. (laughs) Blobs of doom i i i I honestly don't know i'm i'm whenever i play a video game or i'm trying to like when i used to do let's plays on youtube Mm -hmm. the most fun i ever had but it was also the most challenging thing was to name the episode or to name my character in a video game Mm -hmm. i always have the hardest time even coming up with the name trek freaks it took us how long to come up with that and (laughs) we ended up with the simplest answer yeah so i'm
1: thinking like brain leeches or the parasite something like that
0: the parasite that's a very simple very succinct name yeah that would have yeah. done yeah. well that's all right
1: ready for the yeah. warp
0: speed recap well before we get to that i oh. have a question for you
1: Ooh, good i like questions what you got
0: what have you learned about star trek from the first season of the original series
1: mm, that is <laughs> that is a little broad but i think yeah. i have i mean there's, there's a whole bunch of answers i've learned all kinds of stuff Uh, But I think the main thing I learned from watching the original series, because it's a lot different than than what I expected. I've seen some episodes, but not, you know, paying attention like we are now and actually taking notes and stuff. I've realized you can have a really good story, even though you have almost like no budget for graphics and it looks really cheesy and stuff like that. But you can actually tell a really good story in that kind of setting.
0: Yeah, I. I knew so I've seen all these episodes before but it's been a very long time and like you said with taking notes on them and like analyzing them a little bit more deeply mm-hmm. it does I I get a little something more out of it than I did when I just watched it casually but like Star Trek the original series it holds up but barely it's <laughs> like I I love analyzing it because it's so for us it's old like we haven't really gone through and seen these before when we get into tng and uh, ds9 voyager all those those are a little bit more where we started with star trek Mm -hmm. at least personally so i it is good to see that they could still tell a very good story like you were saying with a little budget or with uh the the technology. technology yeah yeah exactly But that doesn't excuse the ones that were really piss poor that they didn't do much (laughs) about at the time. I think that's my biggest takeaway is that they had really good episodes in between a lot of really bad ones. Mm -hmm. And then there were some that were just kind of in the middle, like this season finale. They didn't care too much about the pomp and circumstance of a season premiere or a season finale. They just wanted to get the episodes out there Mm -hmm. and order be damned, I guess.
1: And I haven't paid much attention to who's directing which episodes, but I really wonder if we we'll, we would see some correlation between some of our better and worse episodes if there's that big of a difference. Cause I know in most Star Trek they have you know various directors, They'll, you know, uh a whole bunch of different directors for different episodes. Um but yeah, I wonder there's such a wide range, like you're saying, of you know, good story and just okay and pretty bad. And I wonder if it has something to do with that, or perhaps specific writers are writing different episodes separately instead of as a group
0: so whenever i take notes i always do put the writer and the director at the top of my notes and there are very few that i've been like oh yeah i recognize this name um especially this episode i don't know the, the writer is Stephen w i'm gonna botch this name i apologize kara karabastos i don't know but uh, and the the uh the director is hershel daughtry I haven't heard of either of them before this. Like I hadn't typed their name out before Mm
2: -hmm.
0: on any of my notes. So we were kind of spoiled later on in Star Trek by having a lot of the actors actually direct and sometimes even write full episodes. And they're the ones living the characters while we're watching it. So getting their insight into directing and writing, we're spoiled in that sense later on.
1: Uh, Star Trek has always been very progressive. They are inclusive and try to, Uh, address political issues in a futuristic way so it's not so polarizing I think Uh, but with them still you know being that way through all this series of Star Trek we've seen it's funny that you can still see some kind of date stamp on you know these older episodes where I mean you could see what issues they were dealing with at the time and then things that we've kind of learned to see from a different angle now that you know time has passed and we've grown more progressive or more inclusive or you know however you want to say it so it's funny the things that they totally nailed and then some things are like oh it's a little bit you know sexist or you know a little bit odd that you would word it that way and might offend certain people or whatever uh it's interesting that we can see both sides of that
2: yeah
0: i definitely know there's a lot of stuff earlier on in season one where we were like yeah that i don't think that would hold up so well today but for the time it was very progressive and very (laughs) uh well written in that respect, but yeah, Star Trek's always had that on its sleeve and that's, that's what makes Star Trek what it is. But yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of this episode. Until then, it's time for the Warp Speed Recap. The Enterprise is following a trail of planets whose people have all been wiped out due to mass insanity. Let that sink in for a second. Mass insanity. That's what this episode is. The trail leads to the planet of Deneva, where, where Kirk's brother's family just so happens to be living. As they approach, a Denevan ship flies into the sun. Before the man in the ship dies, he sends a message to the Enterprise saying, Finally, it's gone. I'm free. An away team is dispatched to the planet to investigate. No one is seen on the streets with the exception of a few people that attack the Enterprise crew while trying to warn them away. Kirk's brother is found dead, and his sister-in-law and nephew are near death. During the investigation, Kirk and crew find a room covered in gelatinous blob creatures. One of the creatures attacks Spock, and he is taken to sickbay. The creatures are taking human hosts and forcing them to build spaceships. Spock is able to suppress the effects of the parasite and helps McCoy and Kirk to find a way to kill them. Phasers set to kill had no effect, but these creatures are unlike any life form they have ever encountered before. They find out that a heavy dose of light kills them. They have Spock, Kirk's nephew, and the rest. Sorry, they save Spock, Kirk's nephew, and the rest of the residents of Deneva by shining light from a satellite on them. What a way to end the first season of one of the most iconic shows in history.
1: Yeah, so you can see from this episode, like you were saying before, they don't, they don't particularly put much hype in the first episode and final episode, maybe because they weren't sure if they were getting renewed at all or anything like that. But a right. lot of a lot of the shows we see, the last uh, episode of a season is this just huge action-packed two-parter, often that leads into the following season. So they got you hooked, and you're going to wait, you know, the couple months or whatever until the, the next season starts, uh, and you can't wait to to continue that story. This one just seems like just another episode.
0: It's funny that you mentioned two parters as well, because I think there was only one two parter in, yeah. in the entire original series, not just season one, but it's the, the, the menagerie. The menagerie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. It's, it, it maybe it just wasn't something that was done so often back then, but mm. yeah, I know it's definitely a thing in star Trek later on, but what did you think of this episode? It, it, from the surface it seems like it's a pretty good
1: episode like I kind of like the story and the the you know pacing wasn't bad it was interesting but then when you look at some of the finer details you're like uh, like when we were talking about trying to figure out what the uh moral of the story is it's like uh, I don't know the, the story itself was a little light a little like hollow like it's hard to really find a moral out of this one uh, and some of the you know the effects of the creatures themselves were a little cheap and the, the story though was pretty interesting it seemed a little clumsy like it wasn't written right and then you looked up earlier that uh, the original script was actually changed uh, drastically towards you know when they're almost done making it uh to be very different and that makes sense why this seems so clumsy i think
0: yeah i i agree completely it's it this is it's a strange episode because most of the time there's it's very slow in pacing until the very end and then they just dump all the exposition and resolve the situation at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. this one there was so much exposition and build up at the beginning like in the first third of the episode was just like these uh planets are dying all the people are dying on these planets because of mass insanity kirk's brother is living here spock gets infected uh he's trying to break out and break free from the from the pain of these of these creatures. Spot, or Kirk's nephew's about to die. His sister-in-law did die. Um, all of that, like, in the first third of the episode. And then the investigation happens, and then it's they figure out how to deal with it. And I think I even note it later on. There's still 10 minutes left in the episode by the time they figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen at all. And I kind of see why they rushed the endings, because now I kind of expected that, and this ap- episode kind of dragged on because of it.
2: Yeah. To me.
1: Also, you saying mass insanity, and it was in your in your recap, too. That would have been a better name for the episode. I think <laughs> Just mass insanity.
0: I think there would have been something better if they would have just like not called it mass insanity because it's it's so broad. Like, obviously, they didn't know what caused it at the time. The characters didn't. They knew that it was being caused by something. They didn't know what and there was no other way to describe it. But the episode could have been built around some other mass thing like. Maybe the creatures that were infecting them weren't letting them sleep and they had to keep building these spaceships and stuff and they weren't allowed to eat or sleep or drink water or whatever. So they, their bodies just deteriorate over time and they just allow themselves to die rather than be driven insane by these parasites yeah. in their brains. But once again, I'm not a writer and I'm kind of stealing that from an episode of Stargate SG-1. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. As I am wont to do. Anyway, so the episode starts off uh, with Kirk and his crew trying to reach someone on the comms. There's no answer back. We don't know who they're trying to get a hold of at the time. Um, Spock shows Kirk this map of planets that over the past, I think he said like 500 years, um, these planets have been destroyed by mass insanity, which.
1: It's a long time, uh, (laughs) a long time to not figure out what's going on between these planets
0: yeah you'd think that i i've realized that the whole enterprise mission is they're on the fringe of space they're trying to seek out new life and new civilizations but obviously kirk's brother's living there so it's not that far out there yeah for there to be a whole human colony there but you'd think that they'd figure something out hundreds of years <laughs> sooner but yeah. and maybe so kirk's
1: brother can't be you know 500 years old so he must have moved right. into a neighborhood where there was nearby planets are suffering from this <laughs> insanity that's spreading apparently
0: Unless they had just found out about the the insanity stuff spreading, but yeah, they didn't really give any explanation as to how they came to that conclusion or how they found out about any of it. Yeah, uh, there's a ship approaching the sun um, uh, around the planet where they feel where they where the trajectory of the mass insanity was taking them to Deneva. There's a ship flying toward the sun. Uh, Enterprise tries to uh, fly closer to warn him away. He doesn't get the message, or he gets the message but doesn't care about it. He's just insane, seemingly. Flies directly into the sun, but before he does, that's when he cries out, I'm free, it's gone. Um, The Enterprise reverses course before it's too late. And they set course for the planet, which is where we find out that that's where Kirk's brother Sam and Sam's family are and then they do that dun
1: dun dun <laughs> yeah. it's like so i want to say i think because like we later see that spock is able to resist the effects of these creatures that their mind control ability and they say that uh, a lot of the the people that are being taken over being host of these creatures are forced to build ships for them but then we see like this guy who flew his ship into the sun right so i want to say that people that are have you know a higher intellect or you know whatever not the simple minded but the stronger minded are able to resist and just, like, fight, kind of stay in this limbo where they're able to pull away. Like like we see his sister's able to, like, speak about them, but it really hurts her. Uh, so they can kind of, like, break free for at least a moment of the control of these creatures. Uh, but then only, you know, Spock, because his intellect is so much more superior or has more control over his emotions and his mind, he's able to actually uh, stay in a detached uh, state or whatever
0: yeah he I think he says that uh pain is of the mind and the mind can be controlled yeah um but we see this in an earlier episode where they have that machine that empties their brain essentially oh, I forget yeah. what the episode was called, but um whenever Dagger they try of the to, mind yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah, whenever they try to talk about it, it causes them physical pain to remember, yeah. and that's exactly what this is doing, like anytime they try to talk about. The creatures or what they're having them do it causes them physical pain and spock's able to overcome that because of his mental abilities essentially yeah kirk is given a captain's log talks about the mass insanity that has seemingly reached Denva. uh Denvah has been out of contact with the federation for over a year i think he says
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh also seems similar to another episode where Nurse Chapel and her fiance had been out of contact for five years, mm-hmm. but there was that personal stake in it for them. And that's funny too because Nurse Chapel's actually in this episode again, and we haven't seen her very often in this season. Uh, Kirk's sister in law sends out a distress call. Kirk answers, but she cuts the transmission. Uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, and a couple of other crew members beam down to Denova's capital, where the city's just empty. It's a ghost town in there. Everyone's hiding away in the buildings. We find out later why that is. But at first, it's kind of a little eerie. And that's when I'm into the story right now is that this this place is just empty. They have they have no idea where they're going to try to figure out what's going on. But there's nobody there to help them besides the people that rush them to try to attack them.
1: Well, so why do you think everyone's hiding inside the buildings? You think it's just the exposure to the light?
0: Yes. Like Um, uh, after watching the episode, that's what I've gathered from it. Okay. Yeah. But at the time I didn't know.
1: Yeah. I was thinking like, uh, what's that movie? It was a Will Smith. I am legend where they have like these kind of zombie vampire things or whatever. And they like hide during the day and in in, inside the buildings and then come out at night. It really made me, I was kind of hoping it was kind of uh, that scenario, but we don't see them really rage out at night or anything either.
0: The, the thing in uh, like sci-fi pop culture that kind of, this made me think of was the movie serenity. Mm-hmm. When, They get to the planet Miranda and everybody is just dead inside the buildings like they just allowed themselves to die. They stopped eating. They stopped drinking. Kind of what I was saying earlier, I guess maybe I stole that not just from Stargate, but from Serenity as well. Um, That's kind of what I was thinking this was going to go with. But no, everybody's uh, most people are still alive. There's at least a million people and 100,000 of them in that city alone. They're just all inside.
1: That's
0: weird. the people that were attacking, there's like a group of like four or five different guys that have these like I don't know if glass they're supposed batons. to batons, like, yeah, glass, plastic, whatever it was, Yeah. batons. They were actually trying to they they were seemingly trying to warn the away team away, yeah, while chasing them, trying to hurt them. But they had it was it was a very conflicted message, like. <laughs> Get out of here. It's not safe, but also I'm going to kill you. Yeah, Sam, we don't want to
1: hurt you. Leave. Get out of here. We don't want to hurt you.
0: Right. Yeah. And we hear a woman yelling from the building. Ah, they're here. They're here. Bones sedates her. Turns out that that is, I think her name was Arilla.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Something like that. And it just so happens to be Kirk's sister-in-law. Of course, the first person they find that's, you know, not trying to kill them. Is someone that Kirk personally knows. I thought that was a layer in this episode that was t- completely unnecessary. They didn't yeah. have to have anybody related to Kirk. I
1: get it ups the stakes a little bit. The fact that oh, you know, his sister in law might die. His brother's already dead. He's emotionally invested, but it it just seemed kind of like you're saying re- unnecessary, redundant. It was it wasn't played very well. So it could have been anybody. And it's like we don't see. It was supposed to be a hundred thousand people in the city and a million on the planet. We don't see. We see the four guys that charge on him. And then just these three people inside the building. And like, that's the extent of everybody. Like we should see some more background actors at some point to kind of fill it in and make it more believable. I thought that was kind it's, of lame.
0: It was like, they used their budget on extras on the enterprise. <laughs> and I <that> was like, <laughs> cause there were a lot of people on the bridge. And then even a couple of crew members that I don't recall seeing before that were part of the away team, mm-hmm. the extra two red shirts, the man and the woman. I don't recall seeing them before. Yeah. But also, speaking of not having a budget for extras, was I crazy in thinking that Sam Kirk was just William Shatner with a mustache?
1: I don't know. He definitely had a mustache and he was, you know, similar looking. But to me, I didn't think he would. I didn't think it was the same actor.
0: Okay. I might be crazy. I looked at it twice and I got the same. I didn't pause it, but I like rewound it. And I'm like, that's just Shatner with the mustache. <laughs> it looked like it was him both times. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to ask John and see if I can just sound like an idiot while I'm recording the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, you could be very much right. Like,
0: Are you, are you looking that up or something? I'm, I'm
1: going to look it up right now. I wonder, <laughs> nice. too, if it was his double that we've seen before who doesn't look that much like him, but like, <laughs> this guy this guy did look a lot like him for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I could have sworn that that was him. If not, then I think they definitely found a better looking body double yeah. <laughs> for Shatner later on. Uh, Back on the ship, Bones runs tests on Arilla and Arilla's son, who's Kirk's nephew. Uh, Kirk talks a little bit to his sister-in-law, saying that, and she she is saying that they came eight months ago. apparently visitors from another planet. Something was not their fault. And then she screams more and is sedated. Uh, They're using some sort of mind control to prevent people from speaking of them kind of like dagger of the mind like we talked about earlier the people of the planet are being forced to build ships for them and as of right now i have no idea what's going on and i guess Arilla's dead now <laughs> like, yeah. like you kind of just jumped to that pretty quickly
1: yeah it's kind of like they don't really explain it but she just like kind of freaks out and then stops moving so okay i guess i guess she's dead so <laughs> next <laughs> i don't know
0: right it it seemed like like we were saying they just added that layer in there just for some personal stakes but it didn't mean anything by the end of the episode and i'm definitely going to talk about that at the end of the episode because there's another thing in here that happened that had no effect whatsoever on the episode that was just meaningless but we'll get to that
1: though i'm glad they didn't do the the flip side of it which they do very often on the show to up the stakes for kirk they would make it an attractive woman that he starts to fall in love with and they they avoided that by making it family so i was like Okay, yes, is a random planet far away that you happen to have family on. What a coincidence. And you beam down, you happen to be near the only survivor you find who happens to be your family. All of it too convenient, but I think it's better than him falling in love again and trying to seduce this woman as her family is dying around her.
0: I legitimately thought that he was going to seduce her later on in the episode. Oh, my brother's dead, but you can live with me now. Yeah, I thought thought that was coming.
1: You can call me Sam. Yeah.
0: Jim, Sam, they're so similar. I can go (laughs) by Sam from now on just for you. Yeah. Uh, Kirk rejoins the away team back on the planet. Uh, They've not run into any other people nearby, which is insane in a city of 100,000 plus people. Nobody around. Yeah. Uh, And then Kirk orders the away team to set their phasers to kill. Mm Like, like, They have no idea what they're up against. They have no idea if more people are going to attack them. More innocent people are going to attack them, which they use their phasers on stun earlier. Why just randomly decide that this is the time to set your phasers to kill? I get it. They know that there's something that's infecting these people. But you don't know when you're going to run into them versus when you're going to run into somebody that's innocent that you need to stun rather than kill.
1: Yeah, only difference is he found out now that whatever is affecting them is lethal because his his uh, sister-in-law died. But, right. And, well, his, his brother was already dead, too. Uh, but, yeah, it's like you still need to... You might be finding other innocent people that are trying to escape as well, so you should yeah. probably
0: keep months done. It just seems like a massive leap, especially for a decorated Starfleet captain to make. But Yeah. I, I guess that's just something that, in the original series, we'd have to kind of live with a little bit. Yeah. Um, Did you ever get an answer to who played Sam Kirk?
1: I can't find him. I found a bunch of the other actors, but yeah, I don't see him in the... I mean, he must be in the cast listing somewhere. Frank the editor stepping in for just a moment. Yes, George Samuel Kirk was played by William Shatner.
0: The away team walks into a building that resembles like an arboretum is what I got out of it. Because There were plants everywhere. Um, All across the walls were some sticky gelatinous creatures. That were making like weird kissing, farting sounds. And it's weird that I say kissing slash farting, but it was a very good combination of both, which is kind of what I guess my wife has to deal with with me <laughs> on a regular basis. No. So I, that, that's like pinnacle original series for me just ugly looking blobs that make strange noises.
1: I just imagine I'm the people recording the audio that they used for that. It must have been. Oh, a, man. <laughs> the kid guys, we're going to all go get some, you know, taco truck and then we got to come back <laughs> and <laughs> practice kissing our hands or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. Taco flavored kisses. <laughs> I think that was a South Park <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that was weird, though. So they, they're like the size of a pancake, I think. And they just look like to me, they look like uh, fake vomit. You could buy at a gag store yeah. or something like that. And they just Definitely. kind of they shoot one. It just kind of flops on the ground like it's made of rubber. They did a good job at making some of them fly with strings or whatever. They could kind of like fly off and try to attack them. But I, in the end, I really don't care for this creature that they designed. To me, there would have been a so much more effective way to to make these. The, that creature has almost no mobility. I mean, they're able to fly, I guess, but can they walk? We don't see them crawl or slither or anything like that. They're just a blob of goo. Um. So individually they're they're almost useless. Their n- number one absolute most like effective ability is they can attach themselves to a host. So they should have been on hosts when we see them as a threat. We should have seen yeah. people, even if it wasn't this big blob on their back, it could have been a purple spotted rash they got, like we've seen in a different episode, or or little like mushroom like spores coming out of their neck or something. I think that would have been so much better. Just put a little bit of a something specific on certain people and then they are the threat. And you can see the range of like when someone first gets infected and they would be like the guys with the batons running down there trying to, you know, ward you away. And hey, you know, you need to get out of here. You guys are going to get sick too. And then the ones that are fully affected and building ships and doing whatever the, the creatures want them to do, they would move slower. I'd like to see them kind of almost robotic because this, these creatures that don't, aren't used to their bodies are now operating them like puppets from the inside. So it'd be kind of, you know, a little bit animatronic and slow moving, but then that's how, you know, that those are the ones that are fully taken over.
0: Yeah. It would be apparent to both the audience and to like Kirk and crew that there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. and that they're not themselves while still differentiating them from the normal people of the planet. If they were to have been seen in this episode at all.
1: Yeah. And then if they, um, went back with the original script like you were mentioning before the in the original script instead of using light to destroy the creatures they destroyed the home planet of these creatures that was like a central nexus for all the the neurological connection between them all so after that they would become inert they would just be blobs without the mind control ability uh right. i think that together though i know it's like a genocide kind of thing and we don't want to support that but these creatures are also killing people by the millions uh, <laughs> if
0: if you're going to kill them all anyway, you can kill them in a more story, meaningful way than yeah, the way they went about it.
1: As soon as the Enterprise leaves this planet, they may be taken care of right now, but the neighbor planets aren't, and the neighbor planets right. are building ships, and those ships are going to go in every direction, so these creatures are still going to be spreading you know, uncontrollably
0: oh but it'll be fine witty banter for 30 seconds at the end of the episode everything's (laughs) great again
1: right just give everybody flashlights we'll be good (laughs) but Um, if they send a subspace message and let them all know how they resolved it maybe other planets will be able to defend themselves
0: right (laughs) (laughs) all right one of the creatures flies into spock and lands on him Mm -hmm. um the latches onto him so that oh that was after sorry they actually try shooting one of the creatures, and mm-hmm. it it with their phasers already set to kill, and it doesn't kill the creature, but it like takes him out and he fall the key it, it falls down <laughs> it yeah. falls down, and it's obviously hurt, but it's not dead
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh as they leave when they figure out they can't actually kill them right now, they leave, and one of them attacks Spock, just latches onto his back mm-hmm. uh Kirk rips it off, but is that right? Kirk ripped it off of Spock's yeah. back, yeah. And but it was it was too late. It had already done something to him by that point. Yeah,
1: injected some kind of spores into him or matter.
0: Right. Uh, back on the ship, McCoy and a returning nurse Chapel are examining Spock. It's good to see Nurse Chapel again, mm-hmm. which is crazy because when she plays Loxana Troy, I hate those episodes. <laughs> But as Nurse Chapel, she's awesome. And even as Loxana, she's awesome. But I just don't like the character.
1: It's funny, too. When we talked about her before and you'd mentioned Loxana Choi, I'd never seen her before. But since then, I've watched a couple episodes with her in uh, Next Gen. And so now I totally know who you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Nice. Uh, Bones says that either Spock or. Hold on. Bones says that either Spock or something the creature left in him are fighting McCoy's treatment or the ability for McCoy to find a treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then decides that there's nothing more than he can do, which Nurse Chapel did not like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Nurse Chapel kind of has a thing for Spock, but she's also, you know, a kind soul. Yeah. So she didn't want McCoy to just give up on him right then and there. But what else can you do? Yeah,
1: <laughs> like this stuff all through his nervous system. I, I do like right. the way that Bones explained how this, this creature works and how you know, these little tentacles or whatever, you know, they're like, oh, you think you can get them all out? And it's like, no, they spread along his entire nervous system. So they are literally through all fibers of his body. There's no way to get all that out. But,
0: right. Uh, cool he, yeah, he's nearly impossible to remove all this stuff from inside their bodies. And no one on the ship, including, I think he said there's the, the whole science lab was in on it. The mm-hmm. the medical, all, all the the different science and medical teams were trying to figure it out. And nobody had any idea of how to remove these little spongy things whatever they were from the people that were infected at this point being spock and uh kirk's net peter nephew? was that his name peter I don't,
1: I don't remember his name
0: maybe i'm just making that up <laughs> I like it. i'm it's gonna, gonna go with peter, peter from now on <laughs> <laughs> um spock actually ends up getting out of bed but he's talking to himself as he's doing it he says no i won't as he walks out of sick bay uh he rushes the bridge and starts push, pushing people down. He attempts to use the Vulcan nerve pinch on Kirk, mm-hmm. but it's taken down by uh, four of the guys on the bridge and sedated. Did you have any idea what he was trying to do at that moment?
1: I not really. I assumed he was trying to take over helm control, but uh, they yeah they didn't make it clear. I just remember though that that scene specifically just kind of I don't know seemed so poorly done. I don't know if it was like the angle or they didn't change shots uh, angles at all or enough. It just seemed like a real clumsy, like a fake fight. It seemed really, you know, lazy.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to headcanon that a little bit into Spock trying to take control back and like trying to hold back what he was doing. So mm-hmm. it looked like he was not actually trying to hurt anybody on the bridge while this creature was still making him try to hurt these the people like his friends and yeah, co-workers. I, he, but
1: he's resisting the creature's. Uh, attempt of attacking is right yeah, yeah exactly okay that makes sense
0: i don't think that's what they were going for but <laughs> that's what we're here for so
1: what do you, you think he was trying to get to helm control as well or what do you think yeah, he's gonna I, do
0: i i don't know like i think the creature was trying to take over the ship yeah. they never even say why they need ships but obviously as it is they're capable of going from one planet to another to another and another yeah Why do they keep needing more ships on these planets? Or do they have like millions of them back on their homeworld that they're trying to have fly out into the galaxy?
1: I assume they're trying to spread as much as they can. Just, you know, a couple of them could probably take over a planet because they can multiply, I assume. So if you can, everybody gets a bunch of ships, you go in every direction and you can just keep spreading like a virus.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Uh, If that's their prime directive, I guess, is to multiply, (laughs) then uh, like the Borg once again
2: yeah
0: uh, back in sickbay spock wakes up again but is seemingly himself this time but he's in pain uh he claims that he can return to duty and that sedatives and restraints are no longer necessary he claims uh he, he claims pain is a part of the mind and the mind can be controlled but his human half is getting in the way of that which i thought was a nice little touch when kirk asks him what about your human side And he's like well it's a bit of an inconvenience, but I think I can overcome it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> nice little touch. Though,
1: at this point, I totally was convinced that Spock was lying; that the creature had full control. Yeah, and he was just trying so. to make it seem like, "Oh yeah, I'm okay. Let me out. I'm not going to kill all you guys."
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we were supposed to doubt him at that point. Like, I am not sure exactly what they were going for. Which is another problem that this episode suffers with. Suffers from is. Us not knowing the motivations of people because we see Kirk go back and forth on a couple of different things mm-hmm. uh, pretty quickly after this um, the character motivations. And then the even the villain, the blob motivations, like, what are they? It's never said.
1: Yeah, it's definitely could have you know, used a couple more passes in the writer's room.
0: Yeah, at at least like six more. (laughs) No, actually, that's probably what butchered the the episode to begin with. Was it going through the writers' room too many times? True. Yeah. From the original, it would have been interesting to be able
1: to read the original script.
0: Yeah. Um, Kirk pleads with Bones to help Spock and his nephew, but Bones reminds him of the one million plus other colonists on the planet that also need their help. Um. This is when we start seeing Kirk actually getting a little more emotionally invested in what's going on, which is great for him to have some emotional attachment to the episode Mm -hmm. as a character. But then quickly after I think right after the next commercial break, he's like, oh, I don't even care about that. I just care about them not being able to go on to the next planet after this one. So these million people be damned. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about with his motivation is just going back and forth. It changes. Yeah.
1: Like, come on, dude. you? Yeah, you want to save a million people and you want to save the galaxy, but you need to choose which direction we're going to go because that drastically changes our
0: approach. Right. Uh, Spock breaks free from his restraints and he's uh, back in his old uniform. Uh, looks like he's in almost tip top shape, heads toward the transporter room and orders Scotty to beam him down. But Scotty refuses. Uh, Spock knocks out the other guy that's in the transporter room and Scotty pulls out a phaser on him and calls Kirk. Um, at this point, (laughs) okay, I, am going to read the next part and then I'll ask you a couple of questions. (laughs) Spock tells Kirk that he's no longer in pain and they debate whether or not Spock should be able to go back down to the planet. Why did they act like Spock attacking a fellow officer was no big deal?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Anybody else (laughs) would be in the brig. Um, I think, I mean, they, they understand that he's under partially under the control of these creatures but
0: that should I mean, be reason enough to not trust him to go alone on a, on a yeah. mission.
1: You say, Oh yeah, I have control of my actions. My mind is, is, you know, not clear, but in control. Okay. But you just attacked a starfleet officer to try to, you know, force your way down to the planet. This and is basically
0: all... forced another starfleet officer to pull a gun out on you yeah. in the process. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is all very much like not uh, regulation. So, And you would think, I mean, it's got to be that he's struggling. He's just trying to stay focused and not lose control to the creature. But he's, you know, he follows the rules. He doesn't have a hard time normally saying, you know, no, we have to do it this way. And so the fact that he's trying to go around the captain's back and sneak down to the planet and hurry up and find one of these creatures to analyze it, it's like, why don't you just do all that, you know, transparently, like explain to everybody, hey, this is what we have to do. I'm not 100 percent, but I'm feeling good enough to focus and do this and have them send a couple red shirts with you like if they want to keep you under phaser, you know, hold the phaser to you or whatever, then that's fine. Uh, you know what you're doing and 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 honestly, if you don't can't trust yourself because you might lose control to these creatures, it's better that you have other Starfleet there that can you know disarm you or you know shoot you, stun you uh, to keep you from maybe taking over the ship
0: in Spock's defense they did he did try explaining that a little bit to them he said that the restraints aren't necessary and then he kind of proved that they were while trying to prove that they weren't so it's it's really weird how they go from Spock's in danger and can put other people in danger to Spock just posed a threat but is trying to help the threat so let's just let him go let's let him do his thing i don't think that any other Crew in Starfleet would ever do this, but Kirk's a fucking cowboy. He gonna do what he gonna do, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. he just lets him go back down to the planet to investigate.
1: Though this does seem like Kirk is reacting emotionally because, yes, logically he would just stay in the sickbay, you know, call for Kirk to come talk to him, explain the situation again, and devise a plan that they both agree would be the safest way to go about this. Instead, he's like, "Nope, you guys aren't listening to me. Forget you. I'm gonna go do it myself." Rips himself out trying to beam down, you know, he's taking control of the situation on his own, which is not the typical Spock logical course.
0: Right. I, I wonder if that's because he thinks that he can only hold the creature for a limited time. So time is Mm -hmm. of the essence. Maybe. Uh, Or he just knows that. And I think he even says later on, or maybe it was even during the scene that if, uh, if Peter, I'm going to call him Peter. (laughs) If Peter were to wake up, he knows what kind of pain he would go through because Spock's currently going through that Mm -hmm. and he doesn't think that the child could handle it so he's trying to he's being emotional for kirk who is emotional yeah i guess maybe we're just adding layers to the writing here
1: yeah well uh, because god damn i did it again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, spock can uh see something that kirk cannot Uh he could see, like you're saying, the the anguish that he's going through and what the kid's gonna go through. So he doesn't want the you know the the kid Peter to to suffer like that. Sorry. Uh who would who would name two characters like that and put them so close together in every episode? (laughs)
0: Right. Kirk and Spock. (laughs) I am 12 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible.
1: Uh But yeah, so Spock can see what they can't see. And so he's trying to explain to them they don't understand. So he's trying to do what he can do, like you're saying, not just to protect the kid, Peter, but to also protect Kirk from even more emotional suffering that he's going to go through if Peter dies as well.
0: Right.
1: Right. I don't know. That's a lot of words.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's more layers to the writing than what they had intended, but it's the only way that it kind (laughs) of makes sense to us, I I guess.
1: Yeah, trying to put a sugar coating on it.
0: Right. Back on the planet surface, Spock is once again attacked, but by a single by one guy, I think it was just one guy that attacked him this time. Mm. And Spock takes that guy out, which I don't even know what the whole point of that was. And then fights off the pain from the jelly blob again. I think it's like trying to show that if he takes his concentration off of suppressing the pain that the parasites causing him. Mm -hmm. he'll have to like submit to the pain essentially. So he fought off the one dude. And then all of a sudden he's in pain again.
1: And I don't understand why the creature would attack him. If those things are all connected. Well, maybe the one the parasite inside him can tell the other ones like, Hey, I don't have control of my ship or what my host. Uh, But you would think if they're all infected, the other people would let him be and let him go about his business.
0: I just thought you, when you said ship and then meant host, that would be an excellent twist for this episode is that they weren't trying to build ships. They were trying to build hosts. Mm. They were trying to procreate the human, make the humans procreate to create more uh, human hosts for these people. Yeah. Or these blobs. That would be a lot better, <laughs> a lot darker, yeah. but a lot better than not having enough ships for them or something.
1: Yeah, like, that'd be great. That
0: that would be, oh man, that that would be a much better episode, but. Yeah, probably a little too dark for this but,
1: show. Yeah, then they would have to farm them and like raise them from children up to fully grown, unless they had Borg maturation chambers, but that would be kind of uh, complicated. I think it'd be easier to just go planet to planet and take the adults.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair too. <laughs> uh, Spock stumbles back into the room where he was initially attacked by the blob. He shoots another one off the wall and captures this one so that back in the science lab, uh, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy can talk about what they are going to do. To try to study it to see what can kill it. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, the creature is. They determined that the creature is just one large brain cell. Essentially, it's part of a larger being or a hive mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they just threw out that it's from another galaxy. Yeah, which which is, is like, weird.
1: Yeah, I don't think we know of a species that can that can break the galactic barrier. So that was like a whole nother. Maybe maybe that was part of why they didn't want to go find their planet and destroy it is because they wrote that into the story too. But yeah, going outside of our galaxy is not something I don't think we've been able to do yet. In The show.
0: Not in this show. It's. uh, I'm not going to talk about it because it's a very, very, very recent episode of a very recent show. So I'm not going to talk about that at (laughs) all, but um, watch Star Trek discovery. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I'm also getting more like Borg like vibes from this. But the, the whole hive mind thing is a very common trope, I guess, that they use in Star Trek until they figure out that the Borg is the way they want to go with that hive mind.
1: Oh, you know, this reminds me of and it's probably obviously this was first and the, the show was a copycat. Uh, there's an episode of Futurama where they have these like slug brain. I was going to bring that up earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. It's like kind of the same thing.
0: Yeah. Um it's also, once again, sort of like Stargate SG-1 with the Goa'uld, because the whole thing with the Goa'uld, the enemy of Stargate, is that the humans in Stargate, is that they're parasites that take over human hosts. And that's the entire purpose of what they do, is just take over human hosts and then enslave the rest of the humans. Um, I, I wonder if they got their inspiration from this episode of Star Trek, at least some of it.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Who knows? Uh, McCoy can't find a way to kill the creature without killing the host that it has infected. Kirk says that it has to be stopped. It's more than just about Spock and his nephew or the other million people on the planet. He would destroy the planet, therefore killing the one million people there before letting these creatures spread to another planet. This is where Kirk's motivations are kind of like, just about three minutes ago, you wanted to do anything you could to save Peter and Spock.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now it's what? uh wh- wh- Where did this come from? It's like I get why he's saying this because it makes sense. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just a almost a complete one hundred and eighty. It's like a, a one sixty seven degree turn <laughs> from where he was before.
1: Right. It, and, and like I was saying earlier, this is this is hugely irrational because you're for some reason assuming that this planet is a bubble and this is the only place that these creatures exist so if you destroy this planet they'll all die but no they they came on a ship that ship could have gone to five other places before it got there we know of three or four of the planets that already have uh you know had this mass insanity so assuming we can assume that that planet's just covered in these creatures and they're just leaving in ships for the past 500 years there's no reason to believe that destroying this planet's going to stop these creatures from spreading
0: Well, Spock agreed that destroying the planet and killing Kirk and killing Spock and Kirk's nephew is probably the best option. But Kirk says there has to be another answer. Um, McCoy and Spock are in the hot seat with Kirk, as Kirk puts it. Like, basically, they have to come up with something or they're all screwed. Kirk realizes that something in the sun killed the creature earlier before it killed the man that flew into the sun which makes them think that sunlight or some sort of light is directly harmful to the creatures. So they rig up this whole testing chamber thing that they already kind of had set up in the, the med lab or the science lab, wherever they were. And, uh, it, it actually worked the first time. Like it killed the creature. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought there'd be a little bit more trial and error to that, but (laughs) no, that's kind of getting close ish to the end of the episode, I guess. But
1: And well, so one thing that bothered me is, is Bones was explaining all the tests he's done. And one of them was the, the main one was that he was trying different levels of radiation that he tried, you know, what 3000 kilojoules or something like that. Something that was like supposed to be the equivalent to the, to the sun or, or super hot that, you know, humans definitely wouldn't survive. And so if that didn't work, I mean, light is a frequency of radiation. So they're dialing it down way less, but I, I don't know. that's my very rudimentary understanding of our science. Now, now that I speak about that, I realize these creatures are life unlike we know it. So maybe there is something different about visible light versus these higher forms of radiation. But, uh, yeah, they didn't even like touch on the fact that light is radiation and he already tried that.
0: Well, and that's just the thing is that in the next scene, Spock is a Guinea pig for McCoy's tests and he, blinds spock but it kills the creature Mm -hmm. and then we find out at the end of the episode i'm going to skip a little bit here because we're getting close to the end um that none of that was necessary like spock didn't need to not only did spock not need to be blinded but he actually wasn't blinded like it was only a temporary blindness but they they've they discover that the 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 type of light is something that humans can't even see anyway Mm -hmm. the type of light that they need to kill these creatures so
1: yeah it was like an ultraviolet light that they needed
0: yeah so you you would figure throughout the radiation test like you were saying that that would be something else that would have accidentally been tested but Mm -hmm. thankfully it didn't work because they would have probably just irradiated a whole planet to get rid of them (laughs) rather than shining a light on them
1: yeah yeah that was again just kind of the clumsy writing i don't know if this is the like some last minute changes to the script or what but It just, like you're saying, that whole portion with Spock, the fact that he was blinded and not just healed. Oh, but then later it's like, oh, but he wasn't really blinded because, you know, he has extra eyelids inside his eyes because they're Vulcans and special development. Like, okay, that's cool. Like, we're glad, you know, he's okay, but you didn't have to add all that. that. Right. I don't know. It's just like they're trying to shoehorn some filler in between scenes. Like this story wasn't written out to be big enough or something.
0: It was one of my biggest problems with, uh, one of my biggest problems with uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. the, the most recent movie when Rey and Kylo Ren are fighting with their force lightning stuff back and forth mm-hmm. and Rey accidentally kills Chewbacca, or at least she thinks she kills Chewbacca. The audience thinks she kills Chewbacca. And then like 10 minutes later, no, Chewie's fine. <laughs> like that whole scene, like you go through the emotions of it's like, oh, shit, there were some real consequences for Ray lashing out here. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, there wasn't. It's all good. He's, he's on another ship. It's cool. Yeah. That's exactly what I felt here with Spock being blinded by this rush of Kirk and McCoy trying to figure out how to save all these people and not going through proper testing first because they didn't feel like they had the time to there was a consequence for it. And it's like, Oh no, there really wasn't. You guys, you're a okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree. That emotional gain you get, it has to come with some kind of consequence in the story. Like, yeah, you can't just get all that you wanted to tell. And then, Oh yeah, but everything else was okay. It's like, no, there's gotta be some, if you don't pay for something, if there's no value to it, then there's no return as well. Like it has to cost you something to be worth something.
0: The other thing was, it seemed like Kirk was, Pissed at Bones mm-hmm. as soon as he finds out that Spock is blinded unnecessarily. <laughs> like, dude, he's and, gonna and, live, but, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And then at at the end of the episode, he's like, "It's not your fault. It's it, it's not your fault." Like in the next freaking scene, before Spock comes back and he's not blind anymore, it's like you were just pissed off and blaming this guy to his face, your best friend, mm-hmm. for blinding your other best friend while doing your job that you ordered him to do. And now three minutes later, it's like, oh yeah, it's not your fault. It's cool. You're fine.
1: Bones is like one of the greatest doctors, supposedly, as far as the show is concerned. We've Uh, seen that's
0: not true. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) over and
1: over again. But in this, you got to know, I mean, a rough estimate of what level of light could blind somebody with their eyes closed. And maybe just test a little bit under that. Start the first one with, hey, let's see what a flashlight does. And then maybe a spotlight. And then, you know, equivalent to a single bolt of lightning i don't know whatever scale you use of you know lighting but do incremental increases until the creature's dead instead of this is the brightest thing we could possibly conceive let's hit you with all of it at once you might get a sunburn right. but we'll see if you survive
0: yeah i think that was part of the whole we need to do this now thing without the proper testing and i think they measured it by i think he said candle light per square inch or oh, like yeah. number of candles per square inch or something like that it was like 10,000 candlelight units per square inch or something like that was the amount of light that they used. But anyway, they do this the whole planet wide with a satellite. All the creatures die. Spock's fine. Uh, no consequences for anything. Oh, but what about uh, the brother and the sister-in-law that are just dead that they never speak of again? Yeah. What? Right? Why was that in this episode? If there's nothing gonna, if they're not even gonna talk about it later, yeah. I didn't even remember that Kirk had a brother until rewatching this episode because they never bring it up again, at least that I recall.
1: And how many people had already died on the planet too? So I wanted like a little five second, ten second scene on the planet where they're having a memorial for all the people. And maybe there's a wall with names on it or something like that. Yeah. And then you see, you know, Kirk setting down a picture of his brother, you know, at the memorial something like that to recognize that yeah we saved a lot of people but still a lot of people died in this process especially instead, if he has that emotional connection to it
0: right but instead of doing that it's a bit of witty banter about how mccoy was the first thing that spock sees when he regained his vision
1: <laughs> yeah, uh... yeah. <laughs> like, it's
0: it's, oh. it's just
1: this this episode i don't know the writing was needed a lot of work
0: <laughs> so as we alluded to earlier the original script for this episode had the enterprise crew leaving this planet entirely mm-hmm. and destroying the home world of these creatures so that it would cut all of the other ones off of the hive mind so that they would just be nothing. And they could essentially throw them away at that point. Like just throw them in a, in a compost bin or that I just turn British in the dumpster or something. <laughs> <laughs> they, they could do whatever with them at that point, but they dialed that down to, as you said earlier, John, to not, you know, commit genocide essentially. They just commit small scale genocide on this planet instead. So, I don't know. There were so many reasons with uh, so many things that happened without motivation in this episode. There was a lot of stakes with no payoff, like mm-hmm. no consequences. It's just, it seemed like a meaningless episode more so than a normal episode where everything's all as it was. And that's a very common trope in television where everything at the end of the episode is as it was at the beginning of the episode. It's It's always what we see in TV, but there were literally no consequences along the way for this one.
1: Yeah. And I think they, it looked like they were just trying to fill time sometimes. Yeah, And I I think it's probably because like traveling to to first figuring out more about these creatures because they didn't really find much about them in this episode, but then figuring out where they're from and going to their planet and finding a way to destroy their planet, which I don't think the enterprise is equipped to, you know, just destroy a a whole planet. Uh, At least... I don't know. They they talk about doing that here too, but I don't think we've ever seen them fire a photon torpedo that can detonate a whole planet. Uh, so it would have been a lot more time-consuming story, so they probably had all that planned out and then decided, yeah, this is too rough, we need to change it. And they just kind of filled in all this little side story stuff, but there wasn't like a good, solid B storyline. It was just the main story and then a bunch of kind of stumbling scenes that didn't really go together.
0: That's the other thing. The B plot in this was supposed to be that Aurelia or whatever her name is was supposed to be the wife of the guy that flew into the sun at the beginning of the episode. Oh. And she was going to help Kirk and them with research to help figure out what was going on or what these things were. Yeah. But they totally since they got rid of the end of the episode, they wanted to raise the stakes somewhere else in the episode, so they included the brother, which made no sense whatsoever. So Aurelia had to be part of that and it was it was a mess yeah um what would you give this episode on a grade scale
1: originally i was thinking like a a b minus c plus but now after talking about it there's a lot uh a lot of issues with it so i'll probably go like a c minus okay
0: i i i'm giving it a c plus because there was some enjoyable stuff in this episode and it had all the like the bones of a good episode it just the meat wasn't there, you know, like they they tore that apart and replaced it with tofu and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> tofu is good in its own right, too. It's just it's not a replacement for meat, in my opinion, for my diet. But <laughs> yeah, it, no. it's it, it it wasn't the same as it could have or should have been, I think.
1: Yeah, I like the concept. Like, it was a great idea. They I think they just didn't didn't spend enough time or maybe, like you said, spent too much time in the writing room. And it just kind of seemed clumsy in the end.
0: And I, I don't really have a moral of the episode here, um, which is fine. Not everything has to speak to your heart about uh, like any given topic, in my opinion. But yeah. did you find anything? It, like th-
1: not not anything clear, but I, uh, if there was a moral to the story, I think it would be like because Kirk's dedication to, you know, we got we have to save the million people and we have to save Spock and uh, what's his name? Peter. And then his oh, but we have to find a solution and and save the galaxy so this doesn't spread. His legions kept shifting but in the end he was dedicated to no matter what we have to resolve this we can't just you know destroy the planet and run uh, so he was yeah he kept changing what he was saying but I think it's uh, I don't know something about dedication <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah that's something 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 dedication I, is probably exactly what they were trying to, <laughs> to get out with this episode yeah So let's talk about the season in general. We'll kind of hit a couple of our favorite moments. Um what was your favorite episode in season 1 of the original series, John? If you uh, have one off the top of your head. Gosh,
1: off the top of my head. There was a lot of good ones. I know The City on the Edge of Forever was I think it's probably my favorite. I love time travel episodes. They did a really good job with, you know, the setting and and all that. The story was engaging enough, didn't have like this one where there was a lot of uh, you know, side stories that didn't didn't matter. Um, So yeah, I think city on the edge of forever was my favorite from
0: season one. I think I'm going to go with one that um, I know Frank told me he didn't like this episode, but uh, balance of terror was the one where they uh, are introduced to the Romulans. Oh I really enjoyed that episode. That whole like back and forth between Kirk and the Romulan commander on that episode really showed not only who the Romulans are in this universe, but who Kirk is as a commander and how they were trying to outplay each other and play chess and then not chess, but whatever he's, I don't remember the exact line, but <laughs> it really showed Kirk's intellect as not only a leader, but as a, uh, as a soldier. Yeah. Which and, is a great perspective to get.
1: And that one, I remember, especially it felt like they were in submarines and just kind of like, cause they were yeah. cloaked and they were trying to find each other. So it, it kind of felt, I don't know uh, that building anticipation that that the other ship is somewhere nearby we just can't see it but we can we're trying to sense it. Uh, that was pretty cool.
0: Um I know we both kind of enjoyed Mud's women and we're excited for Harry Mud to make a his comeback next season. Yeah. Yeah, he does come back.
1: He's a fun character. I'm I'm glad that they decided to continue writing him in cuz yeah, he's just he's eccentric and you know kind of a shady Yeah, traitor, whatever. But he's he's just a fun character to have in the show.
0: Yeah. Um. The the story that he was involved with in that episode was kind of a little yeah sketchy. Not yeah. (laughs) But the the character in general is uh, man. He was too good to not be brought back, and he's even brought back in Discovery. Mm -hmm. I spoilers there, but uh, Discovery takes place before the original series anyway, so there's no real spoilers there that he existed before this. Yeah. Um. This was a pretty good episode. Uh, did you have any like moments of cringe or moments of just pure bad sci-fi that came out of this season?
1: Oh gosh, we had a few. Um,
0: like I, I wanted to specifically mention Trelane. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> and that that character, his mirror was just.
1: Oh yeah, the sound I would effects. never.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget how those sound effects were actually implemented into an episode of the original series and that Frank thankfully went out of his way to edit the sound into the episode of the podcast when we were talking about it. Yeah. It was so ridiculous. Like, I, I'm, I really hope that they learn from some of the over the top cheesiness from this season going forward.
1: Yeah, there, there was two early on in the this, in this season that were kind of like uh, cringeworthy for me. Uh, One of them was the episode Miri, where there's that young girl on the planet and everybody's aging uh, accelerated and stuff like that. And the fact that this young girl and Kirk are having like this kind of romance thing where I think it was just him trying to get information from her to try to save them. But it's like, dude, that's weird. She's, you know, 14, 15 years old and you're whatever, 30 something or what, you know. Yeah, it was just that I get back in the days, that kind of writing wasn't weird, but I think it'd make a lot of people uncomfortable now. I think uh, it
0: probably made people uncomfortable back then too, if I had to guess. Yeah,
1: yeah hopefully, yeah. <laughs> and then uh what was it episode seven, uh, what little girls are made of, where they find um uh Nurse Chapel's fiance,
0: Roger making yeah.
1: robots and stuff like that. And then it's like, okay, so these creatures aren't alive, they're they're robots, but they kind of allude to the fact that he's been sleeping with this robot, I think. And I'm like, that's that's weird. But I don't remember. Did he end up being a robot himself at the end? Yeah, he was a robot okay. as well. So yeah, that was just all weird.
0: <laughs> I thought the 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 big dude, the big uh, God. What I, had a we had a nickname for him? Or I I may have had a nickname for him in my notes. Yeah, but he was like, uh, he was oh, like, it was. I kept calling him Rock, even though I think his name was Brock with the B at the oh, beginning. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it sounded like his name was Rock, so I ju- I think I. <laughs> I don't remember if I referred to him as Rock or Brock in my notes the whole time. Yeah. Um but yeah, that was that was a that was a better episode thinking back on it now than <laughs> I think I gave credit for when we were talking about it because overall the story was okay. It was there. It's like an existential crisis of what is a human versus what is like what makes somebody human. Yeah. versus uh uh, a machine with human like traits essentially but and, some cheesy stuff
1: and really if you if you debate that episode versus there's an episode of next gen at least one of them that i have seen where um where Picard has to defend data's right of sentience i guess and so he debates that like uh you know the the opposition is saying oh he's just a machine and then uh not I keep want to say Kirk Picard uh, has to argue like, well, you and I are just machines as well. We're biological machines, but we're machines just the same. And you have, you know, fuel, you input and, and burn and all this stuff. And so I was like, okay, so if you take that uh, logic and you put it back in this episode, it would be a lot more difficult to argue that they're, you know, they're just machines.
0: That that episode of TNG is really good too, because that character that you're talking about is Dr. Bruce Maddox. Oh, who yeah. is Comes also back. a big part in uh, yeah, season one of Star Trek Picard. Yep. But he's also throughout TNG as well, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff like that where they make comebacks. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, the the whole existential, what is sentience versus what isn't, Mm -hmm. it it crops up a lot in Star Trek. It's a very recurring theme. Yeah. Um. What I hope is not a very recurring theme is slowly rotating negative zone fisticuffs from (laughs) from the Lazarus episode. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that, like, almost makes me sick, too, And everything's, like, spinning yeah. like that, and it's just, like, yeah, negative image, yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. They had some episodes that did so good, and then some that were, like, you you ran out of, like, budget? Are you guys trying to just make one for free? <laughs> it has to be, and, well, that's not the case, because it probably cost them a decent amount of money to do effects like that, but right. they just weren't good effects. I'm hoping...
0: At the very least, I'm hoping that that episode spawns what became the uh, the Mirror Universe. And I think we're only a few episodes away from the Mirror Universe episode now anyway. So it's coming up. But I'm hoping that that's what led to the idea of Mirror Mirror coming mm-hmm. up in season two.
1: I have some some Star Trek comics of the Mirror Universe storyline, too. And it's like, I haven't had time to read them yet, but I'm really excited. Also, I have one of the newer ones that has the Q in it as Q. Um, it's called the Q Conflict. And I only read the first like, I don't know, half chapter or something like that, first few pages, maybe. But I noticed that it starts out where he's he's putting this uh challenge together between uh oh, the the continuum is having some war between all these super beings. And uh Q's like uh I one of the captains is trying to get in the middle of it, say, hey you guys need to stop, you're messing up our or you know, existence. And Q is like, okay, you know what we'll do? We'll settle this with you guys. You guys will help us out. We're going to have, we're going to each pick teams like, like dodgeball style. Each of these, you know, super creatures, like God-like creatures. We're each going to pick a team out of whoever we like from all of your different crews. So all the different uh, Star Trek crews are there. And we're going to have you guys fight in different challenges. And so it's pretty cool because there's the, the Metron, uh, person represented whatever. Uh, there's Q, there's the Squire Gothos, uh, Trulane, <laughs> uh, I think two other ones. I can't remember who, but yeah, it's like they're all there and they all pick out their their dodgeball team pretty much. And then it's they face off
0: in challenges. So that seems like it would make an incredible episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah. Like that's (laughs) exactly what Lower Decks is around for is to make all those references and to make a coherent story Mm -hmm. out of it while still making fun of and paying tribute to uh, classic Star Trek stuff like that. Man, that's interesting.
1: So, was there any uh, episodes that you think, uh, aside from the one we just talked about, that you think had a good idea, but it just wasn't written or presented well enough? Like, if it was redone, it could be a really good story?
0: Uh, that one's hard. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I would say um, Errand of Mercy, honestly. The one where they uh, introduced the the Klingons, mm. where um, they're down on Organia, I think it's the name of the planet, or something like that. Yeah. And they're, the whole godlike beings that run the place that are. Yeah, that episode, it it was once again, it had no stakes in it because nobody had any emotional connection to what was going on. There was no uh co- there were no consequences for anything if it went awry, which it did a couple of times in the episode. Uh Kirk and Spock versus these Klingons that were taking over this well, thought they were taking over <laughs> this planet, but they really weren't. But these guys could have just explained something to Kirk along the way or the story could have been... It was just missing that that hook to make it meaningful. Yeah. It was so close to a good episode, but it just... It was a good episode, but it was so close to a great episode, but it missed it by not having any meaningful consequences.
1: Yeah. Like you're saying, there was no stakes. There wasn't some big you know, clock ticking somewhere. This thing has to be done by this time, whatever. In the end, you realize their power supersedes anything that could have happened. So if they wanted to, they could have just put all the crew back on their ships and pushed them in the opposite direction and yeah. everything would have been fine. So yeah, I, I, that was a cool concept. I like the planet where these creatures are energy and they just have the buildings and stuff to entertain guests pretty much. But yeah, the whole purpose of it didn't have a lot of weight to it. A lot of value. Uh, I was going to say shore leave myself. I like the idea of shore leave. It was a, it was a kind of crazy episode. Um, but I think, I think it could have been done better if, you know, it was rewritten today. It would, it, they could make a really good episode especially with modern graphics and uh, CGI and stuff um, but yeah I thought it was a pretty cool concept I just didn't think they executed it very well
0: yeah that was that was a decent one um, the only other one that I could think of that was bad but could have been good is Return of the Archons Yeah, where the ship the Archon had crash landed on a planet like a hundred years prior and then Kirk is out to investigate what happened to them and there's another all knowing power all powerful creature it turns out to be a computer controlling everybody Mm -hmm. and just the whole festival thing was kind (laughs) of cheesy and didn't really have much meaning to it or we couldn't determine what the point of it was Mm -hmm. Um, there were real stakes with people dying in the episode or had the ability to die so it wasn't quite as pointless as Herod of Mercy but they could have done something just, it, it was a good episode. It was actually a pretty decent episode and having Landru as the all controlling thing comes back. As I think I said in that episode, uh, in star Trek, lower decks, which is freaking hilarious. So at least it led to that, but yeah, there was too many, too much reliance on the all knowing, all powerful being in this season.
1: Yeah. They seem to have, I'm hoping, uh, in season two and three that we don't see that as often. Cause there's, I think the ones that don't have a God like creature make just a better story. Cause there's, it's not as easy of a reset button at the end. And I hate when they use the reset button. I want to see, you know, there's still like consequences. Like, okay. Now, unfortunately Spock is blind for the rest of the show. (laughs) Something, Something crazy, but you know, or we can no longer fly into that sector of space because we detonated some kind of bomb that ruined subspace. Yeah, you know, actual Something. long-term right. consequences, yeah. But they don't really in this series they don't have much of an overarching story. It's just a, you know, episode by episode. But I think, you know, obviously in later season, or later uh, versions of Star Trek, we see kind of a ongoing story as well.
0: The last thing that I have for you is I wanted to ask you Who is your favorite character in this series so far, or who has become your favorite character that you didn't expect, or maybe character development? What character stood out the most to you?
1: Yeah, I think my favorite, and I I feel cheesy saying this because it's probably most people's favorite, but it's got to be Spock. Uh, I like that he's able to kind of analyze humanity without necessarily being completely a part of humanity, and he always has has some kind of trick up his sleeve, like his little uh, eyelids that we didn't know about. Um, and just superior intellect and yeah, he's even, he's stronger. He's like four or five times the strength of a normal man. Uh, so yeah, he's always got a, a surprise for us. I like it.
0: I was going to say Spock as well. Um, just because he's, he's kind of the, he's kind of the lens for the the audience as well, because he doesn't necessarily belong with the, the humans that are on the ship because he's different. But we also don't belong as the audience there because we don't know like he's he's allowing us to catch up with what's going on through him as a character. But to be a little different, and not just reiterate Spock again, um, I'm going to say Uhura, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like when I first watched this series, I didn't know how deep of a character she actually was like she because she's hardly in any of the episodes in any major capacity. But the ones that she is, she's making comments about how she's trying to find, like, how she wants to find someone in life that she can share her life with. She's always trying to be that upbeat person. Like I think uh, one of the episodes, we asked who would make a good roommate or something like that um, <laughs> as one of the questions. At the beginning. And you picked Ahura because she's the life of the party. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that in the original series outside of just the witty banter between Kirk McCoy and Spock or any combination of the two of them. But you have this like legitimate life giving party person, you know, that can play music. She can sing. she's trying to uh, w- with her interactions with, with Spock specifically are some of my favorite conversations in the show because they're seemingly so opposite of one another, but they complement each other so well. Like, I, I kind of want to see a relationship between this Uhura and this Spock, not the Kelvin timeline version of them, but it kind of makes me actually appreciate the fact that they got together in the J.J. J. Abrams movies, or they kind of have that romantic, the hint of a romance in those movies versus what we see in this show, because it's entirely possible in this show. Mm-hmm. It gives me a, a little bit more of a respect for J.J. Uh, J. Abrams and the Kelvin timeline.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, she's definitely a great character when we see her you know, develop a little bit through the season. So hopefully I'm sure. I mean, obviously in the next two seasons, we'll see a lot more of her character development too, but yeah, she's a great character.
0: You have anything else you want to close this out with?
1: Uh, Not that I can think of. I know I had a list of questions that I was going off of earlier, but I (laughs) can't think of (laughs) any of now. (laughs) That's
0: all right. That was like a 15 minute recap. I think we're good. Anyway, that was, that was season one of uh, star Trek, the original series. That was, that was fun. And we'll be back next week. With uh, season two, episode one, A Muck Time, which I can't wait to <laughs> watch that episode again because I don't think that one's going to hold up very well.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, uh, don't forget to follow us and uh, check us out on our uh, Facebook and Twitter and all the social media platforms. Uh, go to geekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, send us your messages or your questions. If you guys have anything you want us to talk about at the beginning of the episode, or if you have questions for us about what we do and how we do it, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you guys. But until next time, until next season, transporter room, two to beam up.